Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest is Phil Barnes. Phil, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. I appreciate you having me here today. Well, I appreciate you doing it. Thank you so much. So you just got a promotion. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, it's been an exciting uh, exciting few months here, but uh, very welcome. It's a uh, it's a nice position to be in. It's uh, it's a little bit stressful at times, but it's a it's a good growing experience. So thank you. How long have you been with? We'll we'll get back to this in a little bit. But how long have you been with Ruoff altogether now? Um, just a little over a year, about a year and a month at this point. Okay. And how many folks are on your team that you're now managing approximately? Yeah, right now we have 10. Okay. 10 on the marketing team. Um, we work, of course, really closely with our IT staff yeah. as well and our developers. So um, it's a it's a small knit family on the marketing side, but it branches out really quick, especially when you get into some of our projects. Oh, sure. Well, we'll get into all that in just a few minutes, but I wanted to start at the beginning and talk a little bit about your career path. You and I, like, like many of our guests, met a million years ago, I think when you were at 82. But take me a little further back and talk about what you were thinking about as a kid and define that as however you want when it came to careers. Where did you think you were going? What did you end up doing and how did that path come to be? Did it diverge or was it a straight path from childhood to where you are now? (laughs) No, that's a great question. And uh, I'll start with high school because it's kind of a funny – Funny story. I'll say that uh, high school electives were probably the best thing that ever happened to oh, me. Oh, wow. Did you so, go to school in Northeast Indiana? I was. I was here at Northside High School, okay. right, right here in Fort yep. Wayne. And um, my freshman year, I realized that I had an elective slot, so I got to pick something. So um, I didn't know it at the time, but I saw this uh, graphic design and publishing mm-hmm. course. It's like, okay, that sounds interesting, so I'll sign up for that. And uh, lo and behold, Northside High School at the time, I'm not sure if they still do, I'd have to check, but um, they had a full photography, graphic design, and print shop in okay. Northside High School. Um, and that was run by uh, Chris Schwarzkopf. Mm-hmm. That name I saw familiar to several people, especially in the local football community. Okay. Um, as well as Dan Wire. Okay. Um, had a lot of involvement with that as well. So um, I picked that elective, got in there. That's when we had the um, little, like, I want to say it was like a Mac LC2 or yeah. something like that, you know, some of those first renditions. And um, just kind of kicked off from there, fell in love with it. And uh, all throughout high school, just kept that course, kept progressing with that. So to answer that second part of your question, once I got involved, I was like, man, I love this. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a, a straight shot from that point all the way through high school. It was, uh, it's kind of funny back now, looking back, anytime I can get into a, a press shop, it just brings back nostalgia. So anytime yeah. anybody gives me a chance to visit, I'll be definitely, I need to need to smell the ink and get into <laughs> a dark room and, and get my hands on that again. But uh it's a lost art, that's for sure. So so what was it, if you can pinpoint it, that originally kind of piqued that interest in graphic design? Um, I think it was just the the fact of doing something hands-on and being yeah. creative at the same time. Um, it was definitely as emerging technologies mm-hmm. at that time, of course. Mm-hmm. So it was every year, it was something new. Everything yeah. improved a little bit more. Um, you know, back, those were the days when all this, you know, switched to Adobe, those types of things. So yeah. um it was always something new and the fact that it was really hands-on mm-hmm. um just as a quick history lesson those were the days where we you know you design something in you know page maker and you'd have to print it out and take it to a camera and yeah. you know take a negative on the camera to make a plate put the plate on the press and start running the colors it's uh it was much more of a full hands-on process to get to a, a printed piece and um unfortunately some people don't have that luxury anymore they just hit print and yeah. get it to the color printer and they, they miss out on some of that historical side but uh Definitely with the hands-on was always a great experience. Okay. So you you have that interest in high school. 
How does that translate into a career? When do you start working in that field? Where do you work and, and where do you go from there? Well, it's fun, kind of funny. It's, it stayed within high school. So the, the print shop there at Northside was actually a uh, service shop for okay. local communities. So um, neighborhood associations, mm-hmm. um, smaller businesses around would, would hire out the Northside print shop okay. to do small things, flyers, brochures, pamphlets, things like that. So, um, and we got a return on that. Each, each student, based upon the work that they did, got got some credit for that and okay. you end up getting a check at the end of the month nice. so as a high school or any way you can get money is, yeah. is a great way especially sure. if you have to do it anyways to pass your course that's right so um we maintained with that and then through um last couple years in high school junior senior year um a lot of internships working down um downtown it was called bancraft printing at the time mm-hmm. worked bindery there okay um and then did some some work at some other print shops around okay um so leading with the hands-on approach from high school yeah. into the classes all the way into doing some some summer jobs and then leading up to internships yeah. you know a little bit down the road so both sides of it the design side the print shop side and kind of understanding how that all comes together yeah exactly and, and it gave me a high level of respect for every different facet of that yeah um, I mean everybody likes to get on the computer and start designing and making cool things but actually seeing every little step of the way from having the fun on the computer to, to you know getting your hands in the ink to getting something actually physically printed yeah um, just gives you a little bit more respect. I think anybody that works with their hands in some regard, you know, you can get a concept in your head, but sure. if you're actually doing it and building it, you know, it gives you that that extra perspective. Yeah, well, and, and we'll get into where you are today a little bit later, but knowing that side of it, I'm certain, I'm sure is helpful when you're working with designers. It's, it's you know, it's just kind of like my experience. I don't claim to be a designer at all. No expertise in anyone I told that to would laugh at me if I claimed it. But having worked in design, PageMaker 6.5, I think is the last design program I worked in, I understand it maybe a little better than, than someone who doesn't have that experience. So it sounds like you've got the same background. Yeah, it's very similar, but I'm very appreciative of it. It's you, Like I said, you look back now and you see how how easy it is to produce something yep. um, as opposed to the way it was back then. So it's it's just a unique talent. You don't see it too much anymore. Yeah. I shouldn't say talent, but it's a gap in knowledge, yeah. experience. So sure, sure. It's definitely good to have. So, so you're in the print shop world. You're in the graphic design world. Where do you go from there as your career path progresses? Um, the the question after high school is definitely, you know, how do I want to go to school? Mm-hmm. You know, what, was I looking at a larger university? Was I looking yep. at a trade school? Um, had a really good opportunity to work um, full-time as doing the graphics as well as running a four-color um, web press at the time and getting some getting my schooling in from a trade school as well. So kind of learning hands-on mm-hmm. while actually taking some course classes. And that's the direction I chose to take. Yep. So um, I, I kept that experience going all throughout my education. And from my perspective, I always felt that the educational side of things through college was more of just um, getting a little bit more fine-tuned on all those fine points. The the little gaps that I made have missed here or there, they filled that in. Yep. Um, you know, some of the historical perspective on things, yeah. and which led right into to my first internship, which led into my first primary job at 8020. Okay. So for folks who may not be familiar about 8020, what what is eighty twenty and what did you do for the company? Eighty twenty is the industrial rector set. Yep. Um, think of it as um, Legos for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, it's T slotted aluminum framing, and it's used for home uses primarily for industrial uses. But as time has gone on, people have gotten more creative, and now you see it just about everywhere. Um, I guarantee you've seen it on TV and mm-hmm. the movies. Yep. Um, you've seen it when you're out in the world. Um, 
and it, it started off fo- mostly focused on um, fluid power, industrial manufacturing mm-hmm. set for machine guarding, and it kind of just you know grew from there as exposure became. A lot of other companies similar started to take root once that technology got more into the marketplace. Yep, and you you were there for 18 years. Correct. And the company, and this may be all of your doing, but the company really exploded during that time. Huge growth, correct? Um, I, I had a hand in it, I'm sure, <laughs> but it's definitely not all my doing. Yeah. Um, no, we. Um, it was a very interesting start. So when I came on board with 8020, um, there was no marketing team, and we had a two-person sales team. And it was pre-internet or early internet, correct? It was very early internet. Yep. So yes, I still remember the dial-up sounds. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we started off with a very small sales team, of course, and then um, the marketing team didn't exist at that time. We were actually even using Mac clones, if that mm-hmm. tells you anything about the way technology was running. Yeah. Um, so when we started there, um, I was the sole person in the marketing side of things and really focusing just on print materials. Yep. Um, you know, the company loved having that large physical catalog with all the parts and pieces yeah. that you could see to get hands-on. So that was, that was my first project there. Um, and it was it was a fun experience because there was no there was no set path that they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Don Wood, the owner at the time, um, and then you know it was family owned business, so um, Doug and Dave Wood as well. Um, you know, they wanted to they wanted to push the boundaries. Yep. You know, they always wanted to be that that organization that you know we're setting the standard that the rest of the industry is going to emulate. Yep. So um, had a lot of leeway to get to get very creative. Um, but you have to be very clean and direct as well. It's, it's a unique way to design um, because it doesn't focus so much on as much as the flash as it is. You know, you have a focused audience. They're trying to get some very technical information. Mm-hmm. So you want to engage at the same time that you're wanting to get the information in their hands as quickly as possible. Yeah. So from a print medium, you know, you're, you have flexibility, but you're also still highly constrained. So yeah. it's an interesting balancing act. Well, and it's designed as problem solving. There's some creativity to it, but it's more, I would think, about making the information as easy for people to consume and act on as possible. And some of that is removing some of the bells and whistles that you might otherwise have that could get in the way of that conversation. Oh, absolutely. Um, you, you have to look at our target audience at the time was mostly engineers. Yeah. Um, a lot of maintenance staff. Yep. So you could you could go from any different um, end of the spectrum. You could be working with an engineer who wants very deep details on any you know small little part. Yep. To somebody who's just looking to say, hey, I need to know it's this wide and this long. Yep. And um, so you you have to cover both those regards. But that need in that broad range of the market is what really led to us having to expand into different, not just industries, but ways to market and ways to share information. Yep. So a lot of the partnerships that 8020 is built upon now in terms of um, service providers out in the industry, mm-hmm. either for um, CAD drawings, let's say, yep. shop prints, design software, all those things were built based upon customer needs that, that got presented to us and yep. then realizing that, heck, we need to, we need to get into here yeah. and start building something that's going to help the specific customer base. Yep. yep. Well, and and the growth I'm I'm assuming was due in large part to the growth of the internet and the ability to more easily sell online, more easily connect with customers around the world. And in your career, if I if I understand correctly, kind of morphed. It went from graphic design to pretty quickly you're working in digital. And how did you make that transition, and what was that transition like? <laughs> a funny story behind that. So um, the the website as it stood, the first 8020 website, was built by um, by one of our engineers, one of our CAD engineers, who mm-hmm. just had a background in some yep. coding. And um, 
one day uh, Doug Wood came to me and goes, hey, uh, we need a website built, and you're it. <laughs> so it's a new challenge. I hadn't coded anything before in my life. And, of course, it was the, the earlier years of the Internet, so unfortunately I just couldn't get on the Stack Overflow or YouTube <laughs> or try to find tutorials or anything. So those are the days where you're you know, going to Barnes & Noble and buying one of those giant coding yep. language books. And yeah, getting, I had an HTTP book that was about as thick as a phone book, maybe That's thicker. about what yeah. it was. Half my desk was spent with those books, but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it was that. It was, you know, we had the need, yeah. you know, had a knowledge gap there, so we had to learn that, and uh, it's kind of funny, though. Once you get hands-on in some of those things, it, it can take off pretty quickly, mm-hmm. which is what it did. Um, one of our benefits, though, is we, we sold through a distribution network. Mm-hmm. So, um, and a lot of these distribution companies were, um, they're, they're older organizations. They've been around for 20, 30, sometimes 50 plus years. Yeah. And they hadn't adopted any of these new technologies as well. So they had a little bit of excitement, too, mm-hmm. because while 8020 was, you know, pioneering in that industrial industry that they were a part of, yeah. they were able to learn themselves and piggyback off some of the successes and knowledge that we had. Yeah. So it wasn't uncommon for them to be some of the first in their marketplace to get a new website yeah. or to offer any of these new new videos with on, you know, inst- instructional videos they'd mm-hmm. be put online or could send in an email or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're there for 18 years which is coincidentally how long I've been at Asher, so I know that's a long time. Um, why did you decide to, to make a move, and where'd you go from there? Um, 18 years, it definitely was a long time. Um, you know, market trends and everything changed. Uh, one of the big changes that we did at 8020 was uh, switching to an e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So um, I spent about 14 years at 8020, we were mostly B2B. Yep. Um, occasionally some consumer direct, but mostly B2B. And then we decided to, you know, flip that big switch and change over to an e-commerce B2C platform. Mm-hmm. And that was highly successful. We had a very young team at that time, yep. um, bringing a lot of people in right from college who were able to get in there with, with new concepts and build out that new platform for us. And after we got that in there and, and got stable with that, um, there were some other opportunities for larger manufacturers that were looking for that e-commerce presence mm-hmm. and uh, just, you know, had a great opportunity that presented itself and decided, you know, if I'm going to switch now might be the right time to switch. We got 8020 in a really good position here yep. to grow from. So um, decided to take that leap. All right. And if you had remained there, the building might actually be out on US 30 instead of just inching closer <laughs> to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, they uh, we went through six expansions in my yeah. time there, I believe, and all the way from just small little factory expansions up to the major most recent renovation that they did with the office expansion. So yeah, they're they're, they're not shrinking anytime soon, that's for sure. <laughs> so So talk about where you went from there and what that experience was like. Well, once I uh, once I left 8020, I went to work for Superior Essex, yep. um, and a completely different corporate structure there. Mm-hmm. It's a um, global entity, part of LS Group, which yep. is a subsidiary of LG. Mm-hmm. So anybody that has an LG TV is looking at the consumer side. The LS Group is a lot of the manufacturing, the back-end side that you don't see that makes everything work. Um, and so then, of course, global company and matrix organization, which was a new experience for me, um, having segmentation between departments, between uh, different areas of the country, between different countries throughout the world, um, you know, having to learn how different different cultures work for different different perspectives of the industry. Yeah. Um, it was was always an interesting um, 
dynamic to work with, got to learn a lot from, um, we had Malaysia plants that were going and they operated different than our European plants. Yeah. They were producing the same products, which we would then have to build for a new online platform and sell. Yep. But as we're building this online experience, we're having to take into account, this is the way, you know, you know, this part of the world is wanting to have data presented to them while mm -hmm. this part of the world here might be completely different. Yeah. So it's it took a generalized concept that I had had from the way e-commerce should work mm -hmm. to this is the way e-commerce needs to work on a global scale. Yeah, yeah. So you're there for three years, right. and then you move to where you are now, Correct. which is Ruoff, which is a completely different industry. <laughs> If, yes, uh, after 20-some years in manufacturing, switching to the financial sector was uh, <laughs> it was a little bit of a little bit of a change. It was it was a welcome change. Um, I was really intrigued by um, that opportunity and getting into that market. Yeah, and um, I mean everybody knows the name Ruoff, mm -hmm. um, especially in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, just an amazing organization, um, does a lot of work within the community, yeah. um, has a lot of affiliate partnerships out there. The Ruoff Music Center is a yep. great example of that. Um, and that position was wanting somebody to come in and really look at everything from the integrated marketing side. So mm -hmm. we have all these different tools. Yep. How do we bring those in together and support marketing with all these tools and this user data that we have. Yep. So that was my role when I came on board yeah. and um, had a lot of good successes with that. We were building a team at that time, mm -hmm. um, had a lot of new people coming in with new experiences and talent yep. you know, throughout the local area, and we're able to have some really good successes. So you're managing a team of 10 now. Were you in a management role prior or was that new to you as well when you came on board? No, when I was at 8020, I was in a management role yep. with that marketing team. Um, at Essex, it was still in a management role, yep. but it was more of a project management sure. role. Sure. So um, had a few um, direct people under my specific team, yeah. but really it was more bringing in the different you know, different teams sure. throughout the matrix organization um, to make sure that we were attacking a project holistically. Yep. Um, and then coming back to um, to my time here at Ruoff up to that point, um, it leads me to where I'm at now with, with my current team and yep. um, kind of going back to my roots, so to speak, of yep. having a focused in-house team that can, you know, kind of pack our own shoot, build everything. Sure, so for, for the few who may not be familiar with the Ruoff name, or those who have heard the name but not sure what it's mm -hmm. all about. How do you define Ruoff? What does the organization do? What are some of the things that it strives for? And what is your role in all that? Well, um, Ruoff Mortgage, um, name speaks for itself in that regard. But the big thing is that um, Ruoff is the largest local mortgage provider in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And we take a very hands-on approach to helping our clients. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, you'll, you'll see a lot of advertising for, for competitive mortgage companies, and they try to make everything digital and hands-off. Mm -hmm. And um, anybody that's gotten a mortgage knows before that it can be kind of an overwhelming, yeah. sometimes scary experience. So to um, have a local person that is there to help guide you through that process to answer those questions is really where the heart of Ruoff comes into play at. Our our, our loan officer team um, throughout the Midwest um, builds great relationships mm -hmm. with our clients yep. and is always there as a resource leading up to a home purchase or refinance and, and even far after the fact as people might look to upgrade or downsize um, as life circumstances change and sure. people's age change. Um, and, and I think that's the 
That's one of the big things that I loved about Ruoff and coming from 8020. 8020 was a very customer-centric organization. And, you know, how can we best service the customers and making sure that we're taking care of people? And um, Ruoff has that same mindset. How are we going to take care of these our people and make sure that our clients are are well-versed, they understand everything, and that they don't have any questions, but they feel good about their experience when everything's said and done. Sure. Um, Roof proudly has a 98.2% satisfaction mm-hmm. rating. Yeah. Um, and that comes through all accredited services out there. Yeah. And it's, you don't see that anywhere else in the industry. Sure. And that's simply driven by, you know, our outside team, our inside servicing teams as well. Yeah. And then everything is driven by the technology that, that we're able to put in front of people. So talk a little bit, if, if you don't mind, about some of the things that are top of mind with you right now. What are some of the things, things you can speak to, of course, that you're working on that are taking up most of your headspace, the big projects you're trying to move forward? Um, it, always continuing automation. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make sure that we're, we're streamlining the processes however possible. Of course, um, that, that hands-on approach, being able to walk somebody through is always the, the top level. Yeah. But we want to make sure that when they're into the systems, when they're on the website, you know, when they're talking with somebody or we're filling out an application, that we have that as streamlined as possible, making sure everything's very clear, easy to use. User experience is a big part mm-hmm. of, of all of our projects. Yep. Um, and then the other side of that too is constant communication. Mm-hmm. The mortgage process can be long at times, um, and there's a lot of documentation that has to go with that. So a lot of what we work on building is making sure that you know, our clients are getting those communication pieces as they need it, mm-hmm. um, setting up those automation rules. It's always highly important. That way you're not waiting on us yep. for anything. We're, we're feeding you the material as soon as you get to that stage in the process. So how do you strike that balance between customer-centric and the the warm touch of individualized, personalized experience and leveraging automation and leveraging technology in a way that saves the customer time but doesn't get in the way of the relationship. How are you striking? No, that's a big question, but how are you striking that balance? Um, we, we do a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. Everything is built upon listening. We um, Again, we have a large retail footprint throughout yep. the Midwest. Um, and our marketing team, as well as the overall organization, um, do a really good job of bringing in the feedback that we're getting from our clients yep. um, through our sales team, through our um, um, our servicing teams, yep. because they're the ones that are doing that hands-on interacting with the client throughout the process. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like any other industry, right? You hear what you're doing well, you want to do more of that. You know, you hear where you might have some some challenges or opportunities, you know, and that gives you a place to grow and improve upon. Yep. So that's always the big thing for us is we like to listen empathically, make sure that we're understanding what the needs of the user or the market is, and then um, you know, adapting our technology or our market strategy towards that. Okay, so. Talk a little bit about the team you're working with. Um, what what skills do you have on the team? How are they interacting? What are some of the ways in which they're helping you with these automation challenges and other challenges? Um, we we have a, a really good mix of um, technical savvy along with creative skill sets. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's definitely a full team approach. So every yep. project goes through um, a specific review by our entire creative team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a lot of brand consistency throughout Ruoff and mm-hmm. all the efforts that we yep. do. Especially some um, of the big stages you're on, literally big stages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the Music Center is just another great extension of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have that namesake, that branding. Mm-hmm. So everything centers around that branding and our image. Yep. 
and and what we like to view as ourselves as Ruoff, and we like people to view us as Ruoff. Um, and then we we leverage that creative and um, user experience mindset backed upon our teams with our technology. Mm-hmm. So we always start with that user experience, that that user expectation, yeah. and we build from there and to use leverage the technology to build into that. Okay. So um, very large in-house development staff, mm-hmm. which is always great to have. Um, both on the application side of things as well as the website. Yep. Um, and then, of course, we have a, a big focus on our CRM systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, really several caveats, but they all meet together. Mm-hmm. So great project management skill set is always good to have and a yep. team that supports all that. Because with all that moving pieces, you know, you want to make sure that you're keeping on top of everything. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question that will reveal one of the sneaky reasons I do this podcast. It's to learn from smart people. And obviously, don't feel like you have to share any thing that's proprietary, but are you getting into anything yet with AI on the customer support side? Is that a factor yet? And I ask because Ruoff's a big enough company that it might be a factor. How is that uh, factoring into any planning you're doing or any of the work that you're trying to accomplish? Um, I'll say this much is it's always under review. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we always look and see how how that type of AI mindset is, is changing throughout the industry itself, yeah. um, as well as how other organizations in the financial sector might be leveraging that type of technology. Yeah. So it, it's definitely it's definitely in our mind share. Yeah. Um, I, I can't I can't speak to where we're exactly at with that at this sure, time, sure, but it, sure. it's always one of those things that, and it is it's quickly adapting technology. Um, it's getting very well refined as time goes on. Yeah. So it's uh, it's like anything else. You blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. So it's definitely something we have to keep our eyes open to and uh, our ears as well, and making sure that we have everything you know, leveraged out into when, when might be the right time to implement with something. Well, I think that's the key thing is timing. And by the way, while one of my goals is to learn from guests, a very close second is not getting anyone in trouble. So <laughs> you artfully avoided that. So thank you. But um, one of the things that I th- is reminding me of what's happening with AI and all the conversation about, um, you know, chat and content creation, it's kind of like I've se- I'm old enough to have seen couple of evolutions of tech. And it reminds me of the early days of social media in some ways. But even more so, it reminds me of the early days of voice to text. I, I was some, I'm someone who hates typing, has always hated typing, terrible at it, will you know type one word a minute if I'm lucky. And I was an early adopter of voice, um, of, of voice to text. And I bought a program called Dragon Naturally Speaking, which was Dragon was the company name, Naturally Speaking was the product name. And I wore a headset and I would talk into the headset and it would get about 20% of it right (laughs) and it would end up taking more time. And I think, you know, I think that's kind of where we are with some of this stuff. You can see the potential. It's not far away that this is reality um, and it's probably going to evolve even faster but it's still not quite there yet. <laughs> no, I, w- I would definitely agree. I- I'm starting to see more of it, especially on the e-commerce sector. Yeah. Um, just because you have a-, a better grasp on the types of leading questions, mm-hmm. you know, customers are going to be asking yeah. about any given product or service. Yeah. So um, I think the software is a little bit better leveraged at this time for, for that type of industry yeah. um, because there's less unknown factors. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I think the more of a service-related industry you can get into, it gets to be a little bit more wide open of, yeah. of a scope. So I think that will take some more time to refine. But I think in some of the more set product industries, you'll see probably an earlier adoption to that yeah. just because they're they're used to this is what 
these are the top five questions. And or, they're closed these are lean data questions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, anything else? I know that's that's a big job in itself, automation and you know taking the new position. Is there anything else that's top of mind, um, top of your to-do list that you're working on? Um, I, I, you know, a lot of it's just uh, just management. It's management of processes. It's streamlining of processes um, yeah. outside of just automation. Um, you know, Ruoff just we just moved to a new location, so we're getting a little bit um, we're getting acclimated to that new space now, and yep. and our teams are a little bit closer now, which is always great to have. Um, but it's just um, you know continuous improvement. Yeah. You know, we review to make sure that you know we're we're staying up to speed on the creative side and pushing those boundaries, as well as on the technical side. We want to make yep. sure that we're pushing boundaries, but that at the end of the day, the quality is still there. But we're focused on improvement as well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's pivot to what I call the speed round of the show, but it doesn't have to be the speed round of the show. I'm going to ask you a few shorter questions, and feel free to give short answers or feel free to be more expansive. First has to do with career success. You've done some different things. You've succeeded in one way or another at every stop. What is your best advice for career fulfillment, career success? What might you tell someone who's just getting started in their career or someone who's looking to retool? What do you think is most important when you're looking to focus on what matters in career success? Um, I'll start with a Covey principle, and I always like to say seek first to understand. Um, there, there's so many talented people out there, mm-hmm. and and just by taking the time to listen and absorb knowledge that somebody's already learned before you it has always been very beneficial to me. I, I've been very fortunate in my career to have some wonderful mentors mm-hmm. who who've been down that road already yeah. and had those experience. Who, um, I mean, anybody with kids can tell you, you know, you try to tell them not to do something or to do something, they either will, they won't listen. But yeah. you know, the ones that that will listen will normally have a little bit easier time of it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's always one of the big things is you know, le- leverage the experience of others that are around you and, and take you know take sight of that and absorb that, and you always get a, f- a really good head start. Yeah. Well, and and it even for for those who may be getting started in a management role, that that applies, I think, especially when you're leading other people. A lot of times people get into that role and they think they have to have all the answers. But, you know, my experience is that the, the, the more people I manage or the more people who I'm trying to lead in one way or another, the, the more I have to tap into their skills and their expertise um, because they're not going to play along for very long if all the ideas are mine or I'm the one doing all the talking and I can easily get into that <laughs> get into that stage. <laughs> I think we all can at time to time. Now, and that, that's one of the great things about where I'm at now with Ruoff is if I got some very good um, wa- open-minded uh team members across the board yeah. who, are, who are wanting to share ideas amongst mm-hmm. one another, which is always encouraging to have. And then from a leadership side, I've, I've got several other leaders that I'm very close to who are g- helping me give that guidance because they've been in not just that industry, but in that role for several years. Yep. So they're able to see kind of some of the challenges that we face, some of the opportunities that we have, and, and shed some light on some things that might otherwise go overlooked just because of how busy we may happen to be. Yeah. All right. So the second quick hit question, and I'm going to give you a couple of choices in how you approach this one. I'm looking for a myth or misconception about your work that you want to clear up or something that maybe it's not a myth or misconception, but you want to shed more light on. And it could be with the work you're doing today, or it could be about being in marketing in a manufacturing environment. What's something you think that's misunderstood or not well understood enough? Um, I'll say in general, um, there's always been a consensus that I've always had to fight against it from time to time that's automation is impersonal. 
Mm-hmm. And I think you can get around that. It, it can it can absolutely be less personal. It sure. depends on how you approach it or how you implement it. And um, putting automations in place can give you a broader reach into any given market, uh, especially the larger you know, contact base sure. that you have, the more you're going to need to leverage that. But it, it shouldn't stifle your ability to be creative and come to market or, or to approach people with automation to make it feel like a personalized message. And, and that's something, you know, we, we strive for at 8020, we strive for it at Essex, and we continue to strive for it at Ruoff. So um, I, I think as technology has progressed, that's kind of shrunk a little bit, mm-hmm. that mindset that automation doesn't need to be personalized. Yeah. Um, but I think it's still there from time to time. So. Yeah. All right. So this question is another case where I'm, I'm hoping to learn something and I could learn a lot from you, but it has to do with how you do your work. What is a tip or trick or tool or hack, something that you use that is maybe borderline obvious, but you feel like it's still worthy of mention or that you rely on that maybe more people should know about, something that helps you get your job done that is important to you? Uh, I'll make this a two-in-one. Um, I'd say any type of having a quality CRM mm-hmm. or a quality CMS for um, product data yep. is going to be huge. Um, working in an industry with a high contact level mm-hmm. um, in terms of clients versus a company with large product offering. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, data is always king. Yeah. So having clear access to that data, making sure your data is well organized, yep. Um, ready for use in any one of a number of different methods. If you're going to be doing a website, if you're going to be doing marketing automation, um, if you're going to be doing reporting, um, data is always key. So I'd Mm -hmm. always encourage people to, you know, do a great job with your data. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you're leading with those best practices and, and above all, stay disciplined with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It's not always an easy process to go through, yep. but if you stay disciplined, it will always work out for you. Yep. All right. Yeah. And that's, it's funny you mentioned that I was talking with a friend of mine this morning and it was actually a conversation about fundraising, but we both kind of simultaneously came to the conclusion that good fundraising in 2023 is good data management. It's really being on top of you know, your donor base, who has given what um, frequency of gifts and all that stuff. And I think it really is reflective of the fact that exactly what you said, that data is king, especially now when you can leverage it. Um, and it sounds like you're an organization that's making good use of that and, and still looking for ways to improve along the way. No, absolutely. And and I'm going to I'm gonna throw a little soundbite out there for the Fort Wayne Center for Learning. Hmm. I'm on that board. Okay. And um, that's a nonprofit to, to help children with some, you know, educational needs for okay. tutoring and to get that leg up. And those are one of the things that, that we're having to work on now, especially nowadays, you know, um, with the way inflation is going, it's, it's been harder to get, you know, funds coming in through, sure. you know, sure. nonprofits. So being able to reach out to, to that base and get that message out there even more is even more critical now than ever. All right. And how long have you been involved with that organization? Um, just about five, six months now. Okay. All right. What what originally got you involved with that? Um, it was kind of funny. Um, I, I saw a LinkedIn post about it, huh. and it was something that I've always wanted to do is get get more involved and find a way to get involved with the yeah. board. And um, I have four children, and a couple of them have had needed that extra help yep. with their education. So seeing a service that's out there to help people with that, yeah. to help kids more specifically, but with those same type of challenges that I had to go through with my some of my kids as well is just a, 
just a great opportunity. So it's kind of funny. Network shared it and saw a great opportunity. So yeah, well, and there you go. LinkedIn actually LinkedIn works. works. There you go. So if you're a nonprofit, <laughs> you're looking for good board members. And if LinkedIn is listening to this and you want to sponsor our show, just reach out. We'd be happy to take your money. Well, Phil, I really appreciate it. This has been great. Thanks for sharing more about your story and the work that you do. We really appreciate it. No, thank you, Anthony. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.